0: Welcome to the Book Hub, an online event space hosted by Luther Seminary. Welcome everyone uh, to our February Book Hub event. My name is Leanne Pomrenke. I am part of the faith lead team and I will be your MC as part of this event today. So this event is specifically focused on rural ministry and what the situation is in that unique context. Um, We have a special guest leader with us today. Uh, John Anderson is the director of rural ministry for Luther Seminary and works closely with Faith Lead. He will be our facilitator. Uh, John is a Bishop Emeritus of the Southwest Minnesota Synod of the ELCA and has been on staff with Luther since September. So welcome, John. Our uh, next panelist in the list you can see there. Oh no, now we've switched order. The next panelist on my screen is Sarah Cordray, uh, Lutheran pastor from Syracuse, Nebraska. Her Doctor of Ministry work has led to several articles for us on the Faith Leader blog, illuminating some unique challenges and opportunities of small town ministry. Next, I see Brad Roth. Brad is a Mennonite pastor in Mound Ridge, Kansas. Although we are featuring today his book, God's Country, Faith, hope and the future of the rural church. He also has two additional books forthcoming. So perhaps we will hear about some of the work that went into those recently as well. And our final panelist is Alan Stanton, a Methodist minister living in rural Tennessee. Uh, where among other roles, he is the executive director of the Turner Center for Rural Vitality at the University of Tennessee Southern. He is the author of the 2021 book, Reclaiming Rural, Building Thriving Rural Congregations. So welcome everyone to Cultivating Rural Ministry. And John Anderson, I turn it over to you
1: thanks leanne yeah we're really excited uh, for you to be with us today and those of you will listen by podcast later we're glad you've uh, made time to join us Uh, we have three different practitioners researchers and writers coming from various vectors talking about rural ministry which is a broad category but i think you'll find it helpful Um, and um, in my history our former presiding bishop mark hansen used to say That part of leadership, a key part of it is being a noticer. So we need to uh, pay attention to what we're noticing. And our first question is going to come down that angle, but let me just set it up. So we know that there have been many discussions in our uh, communities in the last couple of years. It's been hard uh, in a lot of different ways. And we know that people have been getting frustrated with each other. We know that. We've been watching resignations from workplaces and congregations as we get weary and we're deep in the season with the pandemic and we're facing all kinds of changes in our culture. We're dealing with the racial reckoning of our culture and we're dealing with political polarization. But I'm gonna invite each of our three authors to reflect with us on this question. So what else are you seeing in uh, in, in your ministry, in your research? That might be noticed. That's uh, significant. What's something that's got your attention that you want to lift up for people in our podcast?
2: When I look at rural places nationally, I, I think there's a really bad narrative. Like we have a very confused narrative about what it means to be rural and what's happening in rural communities. And I'll give you sort of two examples. I talk about this in sort of two extremes. So on one hand, you talk about um, what I joke we we call the agrarian paradise, right, where everyone in rural America is you know at one with each other and at one with the land, and um, there's like you can walk outside and pet a goat and go about your day or whatever. Um, And that it's this nice narrative that it feels good. And we talk about values and morality and all these things. And then on the other end of the extreme, um, we talk about rural places as if if they're in this constant state of decline and decay, um, where whenever we have a political debate, we're talking about, you know, how do we help, like, how do we save rural communities? What do we do about the declining economy? Um, And I, I can, go off on a long tangent about why I think that narrative is flawed and I can look at point to data sets that tell me that data is flawed and all the economic drivers that show that that narrative is flawed. But we oscillate between these two narratives and in doing so we leave out both the really great gifts that are in rural places and we forget about the actual challenges that are happening in rural places. And um, I think we've seen that really exacerbated during the pandemic. Um, You know, when we talk about the the hardships of the pandemic, um, a lot of those narratives are focused on urban communities, right? We're talking about you know, how the like we're talking about how this is impacting New York City or DC or LA. Um, but we're not talking about hospital overcrowding in, in rural places where you know, a lot of our communities are down to 12 hospital beds, or if they if they're lucky enough to have a hospital. And I like I know hospitals that have 12 beds that are open. Um, resources to fight the pandemic, you know, are harder to get in rural places. Um, information doesn't always make it down. And then even the way that we're encouraging churches to adapt to life in this pandemic don't always make sense for the rural context. So, you know, when when the pandemic first fell, we said, all right, everyone's going to go online. Um, And now all of a sudden we're talking about, well, what happens if you don't have broadband? And what does it mean to be a vital or a thriving church if you don't have access to broadband? And so I know pastors who have just been working themselves to death in the middle of trying to, like, be what is expected of them from the denomination, and um, it's not making sense because it doesn't they don't have the resources. And so I, I think what I see is this this narrative continually falling of, of rural places continually falling behind, and it it makes people feel left out. Um, it makes the hardships of rural communities harder to combat. Um, it loses sight of the assets. I mean, one of the things I saw in the pandemic, was that rural churches could maintain those tight connections that were really sustaining people because they had small like they were a small group, right? In rural churches, they were a small group. So they could contain those tight connections in a way that larger churches couldn't. Um, we lost sight of that because the national story sort of said, you know, this is what you're supposed to be doing. So I I think we have to have a, a less confused narrative about the gifts and the challenges that are happening in rural places. And I I'm hopeful that people can start to voice that for themselves and tell the story of their particular um, community and their particular idea of an understanding of what it means to be rural.
1: Yeah, Ellen, your opening of your book opens with this clear setting up of these two narratives and the fact that we get stuck in them. And I think the the stories we tell really matter. I had a staff member who said. Uh, that's a story that should be told because we forget to often tell positive stories too in this in this trap. Our next uh, conversation or question that we want to circle around is uh, our God is a creating God and God continues to create. We live in a time where uh, we're experiencing accelerated. Everything is accelerating and time seems more and more tight. The church is working on faithful innovations. And people often report they're feeling tired as we engage uh, pastors and ministers as we talk to them at the seminary. So my next question is, uh, what actually sustains church leaders and congregations in the midst of the many challenges? And, um, and what are the opportunities for development and innovation? So what actually sustains church leaders and congregations in the midst of all this challenge and the opportunities? and what are things that sustain us so that we can engage in development and innovation the way we want to?
2: People are actually talking about rural ministry. Like it's a subject now that we can talk about as a theological thing. Um, And that, I mean, that's so new. And so one of the things that's sustaining to me is that this conversation is being had more and more frequently. Um, That's exciting. And I think it's like, it's really good to celebrate that. Also, I think um, Brad is right in this, his Obi-Wan Kenobi analogy or metaphor. um, There was this sort of sense of chaos, right? Like everyone is just at this, uh moment. (laughs) Um, And I think that's a good thing. Uh, And I'll talk about the metrics a little bit. You know, when we entered into the pandemic, um, in my tradition, you know, we have to report our weekly average worship attendance to the annual conference. And that's used, you know, and how people get appointed to other churches and all those fun things. And I remember somebody saying like, well, we're going to count our Facebook views as our primary metric, like aligned with average worship attendance." And I thought, you know, that's really silly because um, a view is three seconds. Like if somebody hovers over your video for three seconds, like, okay, you viewed it. And I think one of the great things that we've seen in our, in like this period is that all of these things are bonkers, right? Like we've been using metrics that make zero sense to a lot of our churches And now they're all up in the air and so it's chaos. And so we get to say, okay, what do we actually wanna look at? Like, who are we? What is our deep theological identity? And and what do we wanna create around us to help us drive forward that discipleship? Um, So one of the things is I, you know, I think it's a really good opportunity for us to go back and reassess our theological identity. What does it mean for us to be a small church, a rural church that's creating disciples? Um, What does it mean for us to manage our, like to be good stewards of our resources in a way that does that. So for small churches, you know, volunteers engage differently than they do in, in larger churches. They um, in large churches, volunteers go in and they, they help out with the program and then they leave. In small churches in rural places, volunteers show up and they are you know serving on the finance committee, and that's the way they give back to the church. Um, and they're volunteering in other places in the community as well. And so, what does it mean for us to use the finance committee as a discipleship moment? What does it mean for us to connect what somebody's doing volunteering? anywhere else in the community as an extension of our church's mission into the community. Um, What does it mean for us to take account for like, you know, we have property and space and those things. And um, I'll give you like one really honest, like obvious example. Um, In Western North Carolina, they did a study to show how much economic impact a small membership rural church has and in a small community. And it's about $735,000 a year. Um, And then you multiply that however many small membership churches you see driving down the road and all these places and think about and those are not things like the churches are necessarily doing those are things like people are coming in to to gather in that place there's work that's being done the members are learning how to be volunteers in the community they're they're giving gifts to the community they're investing in the community both physically like fiscally with their money and and their time Um, so what does it mean for us to steward all those resources really well to take account for how we're gonna think about how those things are contributing to our our theological identity. And I think one of the things that somebody mentioned in the chat was about church finances. One of the gifts I think during this time is that we get to reimagine ourselves. In um, the church, at least for me, whenever we talk about reimagining what our church looks like, it sometimes feels like a little bit of a punishment um, because we're talking about, you know, do we want to go to the, do we want to have a bivocational minister? do we want to relook at our church structure? do we want to, be on a two-point charge or, you know, share a password with someone. And those questions, a lot of times when they come from the denominational level, feel like a failure. And I think now we get to sit back and say, if these are our resources, if this is what we've been called to steward, if um, if this is our theological identity and this is our mission, then the question is, how do we structure ourselves to live out that well? And what I often encourage churches to do is to say, is to think about restructuring, not as a punishment or as a failure, but as a means of better living out um, who we are and who we're called to be. It's a better way to utilize our gifts. And I think one of the opportunities is for us right now to not think about that as a a way to like delay an inevitable close or something, but to really think about how we're restructuring to make sure that we're going to be continuing in that path of discipleship and continuing in the work of creating transformation for the
1: kingdom of God one of the things you started off with um is this valuing of rural people are have become more aware of rural ministry there's more writing about it i I thought i was going to be a parish pastor in the last chapter of my ministry and luther seminary decided they wanted to have somebody do what i'm doing so all through the system i'm watching in our denomination i think you're seeing this in your denominations there's more awareness of rural so thank god and then i think you use some interesting language about that rural congregations are often the only anchoring institution in a small town and that we have more influence and power than maybe we sometimes think we do, I think. So uh, I wanted to affirm that uh, theme that you wrote about as well. So our final question that we're going to work on is we want to have our uh, panelists talk about a time that uh, God surprised them with hope. Uh, what's, uh, what are your sources of hope in this time in scripture, in our tradition, maybe in particular human beings God has placed around you or in your communities that have been, encouraged you in your small town and rural ministry? Or I, I like to think I'm trying to throw a nice slow softball that you guys could hit wherever you want to hit it. Or how has God expanded your imagination abo- uh, ab- and given you hope as you do rural ministry?
2: I'm going to tell a, a quick story, if that's okay. Um, I, it was during the pandemic, at kind of like the height of that, those early days of the pandemic, and I sit on the board of our local hospital, and so I was, I was talking to a lot of doctors and nurses and our hospital leadership, and I remember there was one really terrible weekend where our hospital CEO sent out an email, and it was basically um, saying, look, um, if we call you this weekend, it's because everything's falling apart and we absolutely desperately need people on hand. Um, and it was kind of a scary time for our community because we're hospitals, our hospital is not big. Vanderbilt is about an hour north, and they were full. Um, so, and I'm talking to nurses who are, you know, afraid to go to work, and they're losing loved ones. And I mean, it's really, you can think back to the early days of the pandemic and in communities and remember that very tangible fear. And uh, one of our, my fellow board members goes to church with me, and she said, wouldn't it be neat if we could just do something really small in our community, like something really small? So we snuck into the church late at night on a Friday, and we decided to cut all the sanctuary lights on. And then we hijacked the church Facebook page to um, talk about how we were, the church was called to be a light in the darkness and and how Christ is a light in the darkness, right? And where there is light, darkness cannot stand. And what was fun and what was hopeful was that, all the other churches in our small town, and you have to think about like our town on a little square, started cutting on their sanctuary lights too um, at night for the entire weekend. And so, on this really terrible weekend, all the nurses in our community were seeing the churches with this visible light shining in the community as a beacon of hope. And um, it's a little, it's, it feels a little fluffy to tell the story. But I remember talking to nurses and the hospital CEO and the members of our church who worked at the hospital, and they were saying it was so great to leave a shift or to to go into a shift and see this tangible thing that's telling us that you're thinking about us and praying for us and you're with us. Um, And she compared it to, you know, when you go through New York City and and everybody was banging the pots and pans and like cheering for nurses and doctors changing shifts, she goes, but the difference is, is that I know you and you all know us and you're praying for us by name, um, and you're and you're concerned about us by name. And I thought about just the way that something so small can be so personal in a small community and offer so much hope in a small community. And you saw really great things all throughout the pandemic like that, like churches opening up their Sunday school classrooms to let kids work there, to do school work there when they didn't have access to internet. And um, the way that they were providing company to people who needed just someone to talk to, um, I I find a lot of hope in those small, intangible moments like that.
0: I want to invite you to next month's uh, Book Hub event, which fits with our theme in March of Emotional Intelligence. It is going to be Writing as Wonder, Slowing Down, Paying Heed, and Taking Notes. It's a little bit of a different twist for us. We have two poets joining us. And one of, the, one of them, the book is uh, Words and Images. Uh, they are going to lead us, uh, Samuel Rayberg and uh, Vic Klamoski. They both turn to writing to understand the inner movement of the spirit and how it challenges them to pay attention to everything. Participants in this book hub event will gain insight into that process and suggestions about how to trust their own writing as a steadfast companion in their own spiritual journeying. So this is for you, this is for lay leaders in your congregation, it is for pastors. it is for anyone who defines themselves as a church leader and would like to join that free offering uh, through the Faith Lead Learning Lab.
1: I just wanted to invite you to look at the interest groups. There's one called Rural Congregations. And in that interest group, I curate articles about rural life in a very broad way. I mean, we have all kinds of rural congregations and communities, and I'd love to have you join me in sharing articles that you think are important to uh, people who are doing ministry. And we're in the process of uh, at Luther Seminary of uh, working on something called the Faith Lead Academy uh, which will uh, do theological education for everyday disciples for people who are lay staff or important volunteers or to continue to support our pastors so you might want to watch for the developments there one final thing I wanted to say some of you today may be here and you don't know anything about Luther Seminary and what we're up to in the Faith Lead Academy. And I just want you to know that what we're working on with Faith Lead Academy is broadly ecumenical and what we saw happen here today with voices from many traditions sharing insights, that's the kind of space we're trying to create to better serve the gospel in Jesus name.
0: Video recordings of this will become available and we will post those in the lab. And because you've RSVP'd, you will get an email with links to those. It'll also be available as an audio podcast. So you could potentially play this with a group from your church and discuss it. Um, Thank you everyone. Go in peace, serve the Lord.